Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hey, hey, hey. But if y'all waiting on me to apologize, hell gonna oh, freeze. Wait. <laughs> What's going on, everybody? It's another edition of the Points in the Pain podcast. One, exactly one more week of the regular season. Ben Wittenstein. Zach Badger House, of course, is in the house. We're both with you here. We appreciate everyone subscribing and leaving comments and following us on social media throughout the entire regular season of the NBA. We didn't even know if this season was going to happen, how it was going to (laughs) happen, and it ended up being great. Um, We're coming up on the playoffs, so we do appreciate everyone sticking with us. We're going to have a lot of fun um, for the NBA playoffs. We're going to have some fun guests on. We're going to get some fun betting guests on to make sure you win some money over the playoffs. And we're going to try to do some um, Instagram lives, possibly, Zach. Yeah, definitely going to try to do that Instagram live. Looking forward to that. Going to have some guests for the playoffs, for the postseason cooking up. Definitely looking forward to that. Going to dive in this play-in scenario one more time before it officially begins. It's definitely becoming exciting. And it's definitely getting kind of a little dicey, too, depending depending on which team you're rooting for. So I'm looking forward to it next week. Yeah, Sunday is going to be so much fun. You're going to have, I think, every team in the league playing on Sunday in the afternoon. If there was ever a time for an NBA Red Zone channel, that would be the one day of the year that would be amazing to have a Red Zone channel for the NBA. (laughs) Basketball go too fast. (laughs) Yes, yeah, we'd have to have like six screens on at once. Um, All right, but we have a lot to talk about, Zach. We're going to look back at our preseason predictions to see where exactly we went wrong on those, and that's going to be a lot of fun. We're going to talk about Russ breaking some records, an interesting thing being said by Scott Brooks from uh, about Russell Westbrook that we're going to overreact about. But let's start with our story of the week. Our top story tonight. And that story of the week, it got a little bit more interesting a couple days ago because we were figuring our story of the week was again going to be the Lakers. Yeah. And again, going to be talking about how uh, unique the end of the season has been for them. And they had been losing games and LeBron had been complaining about the playing game. And then they go out on Sunday and they beat the Suns by 13. They beat the Suns by double digits without LeBron James. And Anthony Davis goes off uh, for, what was it, 42 points. So, I mean, what's going on with the Lakers right now? They were terrible against Portland, and then terrible. Anthony Davis helped them bounce back. <laughs> what What is going on here? Listen, the, loss, the L.A. Lakers, uh, been, it's been so bad. 
even even despite the win against the Phoenix Suns, which was a good game, and I think it sent a message to the rest of the league for Anthony Davis at least and gave him that extra confidence boost that he definitely needed as we get closer into this play-in scenario. Now, this is what I'm going to say. Anthony Davis was so upset in the Portland game because he probably felt like they shouldn't have lost him scoring like eight straight points to get them back within a two-possession game. And then Kyle Kuzma goes out and chucks a three. That's not even necessary. You yeah. could have drove to the rim, could have got a layup, but they the, uh, the supporting cast of the Lakers blew that game. So they kind of had to bounce back, win against Phoenix. Now their next opponent is going to be the Knicks, who I believe is going to be the Knicks championship game, if you ask me, against the L.A. Lakers <laughs> with LeBron James returning. You see, he's returning uh, this this next up, upcoming game for the Lakers. So I'm looking forward to see what he's going to do in his return because that ankle has been kind of bummed out. Yeah, I know there were conflicting reports um, about him coming back for the Knicks. And if he comes back for the Rockets as well on, on Wednesday, either way, the Lakers need to have him play in some of these games before the playoffs. He needs, you know, he's obviously he's getting older. He needs to be able to get back into game shape, get ready for the playoffs, because as good as LeBron in is and as high of a regard as we hold him, he needs to be able to play a little bit more in the regular season instead of just getting thrown in the playoffs. Yeah, he can't be thrown out there to the wolves in this situation. And so this is what I'm going to ask you, right? Let me paint this picture for you. Paint this picture, Picasso style. I'm going to do it just for you, Ben. I'm ready. Take this in for example, right? LA Lakers are currently seventh, correct? If I'm not mistaken. They're currently seventh in the standings. So if the LA Lakers were to somehow lose to the Warriors and the Warriors secure the seventh spot, and then the eighth spot, the Lakers somehow secure that spot, right? Are you still with me? They secure the eighth spot and be whoever is fighting between the ninth and the tenth spot to get to the eighth, that opportunity to get the eighth uh, position. So they'd be whoever that is, Memphis, whoever. And they play the Utah Jazz in the first round. Los Angeles Lakers, number eight seed. Utah Jazz, number one seed. And they defeat <laughs> Utah Jazz. I think that's going to be a good role for a Western Conference Finals NBA Finals appearance for the L.A. Lakers if they can somehow secure the eighth spot and beat up on a Utah Jazz. Because I think they have too much superstar talent available and they can beat the Utah Jazz. Yeah, that one spot in the Western Conference right now is really interesting because you have the Jazz and the Suns going neck and neck. Right now, the Suns are a game and a half behind. If yep. the Jazz win the rest of their four games, they're going to get that top spot, obviously. Um, but they need to win at least three of their next four to have a chance to remain at the top. But I think if you're those teams, you need to be watching what the Lakers are doing. <laughs> because at this point in the playoffs, and, and theoretically, right, if the Lakers and the Warriors match up in that 7-8 matchup for the play-in game and, and the Lakers lose... Then what they would do is they would play the winner, that 10-9 matchup. Yep. And so even if they if they win that, then they would still remain the eight seed. So if the Lakers still get that eighth spot and they play the Jazz, that is a very difficult first-round matchup for either it's the so Jazz sad. or the Suns. It's, just, it's so sad. If you, I, I actually would prefer it be the Utah Jazz just because of Rudy Gobert and you know him being considered the best defensive player in the game, and I don't agree with that right now. And Donovan Mitchell not being healthy, I think that's going to be very important, him not being fully yeah. healthy going into the postseason. They're going to need him because I don't think the three-point shot is going to be able to save them in the likes of a L.A. team with Anthony Davis and LeBron James. I think if they run into them, I don't think they could beat them four times. I may go six, 
because of home court advantage being in favor of the Utah Jazz. But I think ultimately they could still one or two games from them being the L.A. Lakers. Yeah, it's going to be very interesting to see how the Lakers approach this type of scenario because they expected to be that one seed or the two seed at the very least in this point in the season. But with LeBron injured and with Anthony Davis being injured, they're stuck in that top seven or that eight seed. (laughs) And they're going to be a tough, if they're fully healthy, they are obviously a top five seed in the West stuck in that eighth seeded spot. So you're going to get a very fun matchup between the possibly the Jazz and the Lakers. And now I, it's going to be even difficult, more difficult for the Suns to play the Lakers. And you, we just saw that. We saw the Lakers beat the Suns without LeBron. Now, that's not the end-all, be-all, but right. that is there, and that is a blueprint for the Lakers to do something. Anthony Davis is not going to score 42 points every game against the Suns, but if he has the help of LeBron James, it's possible that you can see the Lakers, as an eighth seed, win that first-round matchup yeah. against the eighth seed. I agree, yeah. So, like... What sucks in the play with this plan scenario is what we're about to get into. And that's like the injury aspect late in the season and how it's affecting certain teams. Now, it's not affecting a team like the Utah Jazz being the number one seed with a Donovan Mitchell being out or a different Nugget team with a Jamal Murray with him being out. But Bradley Beal, they're on a teetering fence right now with Washington Wizards of being in the play-in scenario, currently the eighth spot. And he's out day-to-day with a hamstring injury. So what you think is going to take place with the Wizards? It's an interesting scenario because right now they are that 10th spot and the team behind them is the Chicago Bulls. And I don't Ooh. think the Bulls have it in them to make a push for that final 10th spot because right now they're two and a half games out. They've got a fairly favorable schedule, but they need to do something that is very rare from them from this season where they need to win four in a row. And I don't Ooh. I just don't I just don't know if that's possible from the Bulls. Now, the Wizards also they need to start winning games and and if they don't, the Bulls are going to be able to overtake them, but to overtake a two and a half point a two and a half game margin in four games is incredibly difficult. Mm-hmm. So as of right now, I think the Wizards are in a fine position. I think they're going to be able to make that play-in game for the playoffs okay. and a Wizards Pacers play-in game if everyone is healthy for both teams. That's going to be a lot of fun. I think that is going to be one of the more fun matchups that we see for the playing game. But I think the Wizards are okay right now, and they can afford a game or two without Bradley Beal. And if they want to sit Beal to make sure that he's healthy, I don't think that's that such. That's not the worst decision that they can make. Okay, but I think he's eager to play. We'll see what happens because you know he's chasing that scoring title this season. He is with Steph Curry, and you know we'll get into that. Yeah, they've been going back and forth. So I would assume it doesn't seem like it's the worst injury for Beal, so he'll probably try to play if he can. But that scenario for that 10th spot is a lot more intense right now than the Western Conference, where you have the Spurs and they have a three and a half, uh, three and a half game lead over the Pelicans, something like that. So okay. and the Pelicans are missing Zion, and, and it looks like they're pretty, yeah, they're pretty done. Yeah, yeah, they're going to be playing for that uh, lottery spot. So I, I think that 10th spot with the Wizards and the Bulls will be a little bit more interesting. Now, the Bulls are in a weird position, too, right, where they are kind of towing the line of do we want to just continue losing so we can get that top four pick and have a chance at a top four pick because they traded their first round pick for Vucevic, but it was top four protected. So they're in that weird spot where they made a move for Vucevic to try to make the playoffs this year. But now when they're they're in a position where they could still lose the rest of their games and have a higher percentage shot of getting that top four pick. So they are in a very weird position where. 
it, it's almost a win-win. If you get in the playoffs, you get the playoffs. You did what you were trying to do. You get that 10th right. spot. But if you lose, you might get a good you might get a good pick. So they're in okay. a weird spot. I'm not really sure what they want to do at this point. I don't even think they know what they want to do at this point. So the Wizards, I think, are pretty secure in that 10th spot. Do you want to look at our preseason predictions? Is that something we really want to do to ourselves? Yeah, because, listen, sometimes you're right and sometimes you're wrong. And sometimes even when you're right, or even if you're wrong, you were still right. So, That's true. You know, in certain ways, we were kind of right in some of these. But then some of them, we may have been far, far left. (laughs) Rookie of the year. This was our picks for rookie of the year. And you can go back and listen to our episodes (laughs) for preseason predictions, and you can cross-check it with us. But our rookie of the year, I think you said Obi Toppin, and I said Patrick Williams. I think that's that's the order. We were both uh, very wrong on that regard. Completely off. Completely off. You know, the top three picks in the draft were before he, before Wiseman went down, you know, obviously the mellow Anthony Edwards, they're currently the ones fighting for that rookie of the year candidacy uh, position yeah. right now for that award. And if you, if I had to give it to one of them, it's so tough. The mellow missing time, but they're kind of in the play in scenario. The, uh, the Timberwolves are bad, but Anthony Edwards plays very well. He's been playing really good as of late, getting this yeah. uh, 20 points, 25 points, and then making highlights. Did you see the highlight where he dunked the ball, got a steal, got a layup, so four points in like two seconds? Mm-hmm. But like seeing that type of energy from, from a rookie already being only 19, both of those guys are 19, 20 Ridiculous. years of age. So they have so much more room to grow. The Melo's passing is uncharted like it's ridiculous the type of passes that we see from the mellow as a rookie the court vision the full court three court quarter passes it's amazing so yeah we were wrong about the rookie of the year for sure picking obi and pat, yeah. pat, pat pat i respect why you pick pat pat though you know what i'm saying Chicago hey. Bulls fan. i can yeah. respect that you gotta do that but <laughs> anthony edwards and and Lavello ball they're they're fun and that's the thing too is they're both really fun to watch and i think that's something to get excited about they're only 19 yeah. they've got you know, 10, 15 years left of being really good and really fun players, and they only have time to improve. So if it's going to be someone, it's got to be two exciting people. And I think it'll it'll go to either Anthony or LaMelo, probably LaMelo, but I, you could make the case for Anthony Edwards yeah. uh, as well. Six man, we both said Carmelo. <laughs> I was rooting for my baby David. Put him on the bench. <laughs> I was hoping he was going to get it. <laughs> yeah. We both said Carmelo, and it's looking like it's probably going to be Jordan Clarkson. Uh, it could also be Joe Angles, but he has started a good amount of games this season just because of injuries. But, okay. I mean, right now, Jordan Clarkson is is the leader for that six-man spot for sure. That's funny because they're on the same team. <laughs> yeah, it's wild. It's weird that they have, like, two six-men in that scenario. But yeah. people were talking about Joe Angles. I think he started, you know, like 40-something games. And he, oh, yeah, he, that's way he's, too many. It's a little too many to, to consider him for six-man, but he is – you know, in theory, the, the sixth man has been the sixth man for, for the Utah Jazz. But it's probably going to be Jordan Clarkson. It would have been great if it was Carmelo. And it made sense to pick Carmelo at the time. And honestly, you know, Zach, I'd do it again. I'd pick Carmelo to be sixth man. I it would, just makes so much sense. <laughs> hey, but look, milestone, top 10 all-time in yeah. scoring this season. Probably going to end up cracking at least top eight, probably past Shaquille O'Neal and be a top seven, top eight all-time scorer in this league. Didn't win six man, but we were still in this league. They tried to t- keep us out, Melo, but we're right back, top <laughs> ten, and I'm all here for it. It is impressive what he's been doing at his yeah. age, to, to be honest. He's still he's still performing like that. Now, Zach, we have to talk about our most improved player pick. 
Because mm-hmm. if, if we're talking about still standing behind Carmelo Anthony, <laughs> I would 10 times stand behind our pick Ten for toes. most of player. And that is as we go to the Mile High City, we both picked Michael Porter Jr., the Denver Nuggets, to be this year's most improved player. Now, if we were to take his statistics from just since Jamal Murray has been injured and elongate for the rest of the season, I think we would have a good shot of being correct that he would be most improved player. He's averaging 25 points a game, shooting 50% from three, 60% from two-point land. Like, he has been playing incredibly well with the increased uh with the increased responsibility with Jamal Murray being hurt yes. but unfortunately the season is longer than the last two, two <laughs> and he has not performed like a Julius Randle has performed or he has not performed like even like a Christian Wood has performed and how well he's been playing Jeremy Grant in Detroit and how well he has been playing I think there is a good list of guys behind Michael Porter Jr. at this point that are going to win the award yeah uh, big shout out to Julius Randle. I think it's pretty clear cut unanimously that Julius Randle, no one else should get a vote, first place vote for no. most approved player of the year. No one know. else should. Uh, Jeremy Grant, you know, Detroit Pistons, they're terrible. Uh, <laughs> yes. Houston Warriors, we talked about the Houston Rockets for weeks, yeah. <laughs> and they were on like a 15 game losing streak. So, and I think it was more than that. I think it reached 20 games. So, no. Now, however, Ju Randle. The New York Knickerbockers, the New York Knicks, fourth seed in the playoffs in the East. And this is the podcast where we reluctantly over and over again with the Knicks. They were terrible. We don't know what they're going to be. Tom Thibodeau's running players to the ground. That's his resume. And now he has the New York Knicks, a gritty team, hard fought team, fighting night in, night out. Beat a great Clippers, beat a solid Clippers team and a great performance from Derrick Rose, too, leading the team. Drew Randall's most improved, man, 24-10-6. Got to get most improved. Yeah, uh, 100% agree. And uh, as much as we wanted Michael Porter Jr. to be that way, he's looking like he is uh, like he could still win it next season. Mm-hmm. Depending on if this improvement without Jamal Murray, if his usage stays up from where yeah. it is now into next season – he could have a legitimate shot again at most improved player. And it it could be the time where he turns the corner. Now he needs to continue to have that increased usage and the increased responsibility in the offense, but it's there. Yeah. The foundation is there. So I don't want to say we were completely wrong. We weren't. We weren't. (laughs) He wasn't getting the responsibility that, that we thought he would be able to get. Mm-hmm. But uh, I'm gonna say we were half right. Let, let's give us a half point here on being right. We were wrong about yeah. the last. We'll we'll be half right about most improved players. Kind of half right, and he might, like you said, he may have the opportunity to get it next year with the increased role. You know, he may end up being the third option, second option in terms of the scoring load, depending on what we see from Murray with this injury when he returns. But I think you know if if Murray's gonna be out, you know, next season with because of this ACL injury, we're gonna see a huge step up. 100%. I believe so. So future is bright there, especially with Jokic and Aaron Gordon now. If you have MPJ really improving and scoring 20 points a game and 20-plus points, Nuggets are going to be fun. Nuggets yeah. are going to be really fun. <laughs> Defensive player of the year. We both said Anthony Davis. We did, because he didn't win the last year. Correct. Yeah, it looks like it's probably going to be Rudy. I don't, I don't really know who else people would vote for at this point who could have a legitimate argument at being getting more votes than Rudy Gobert. I'll argue Ben Simmons. Okay. Because of, I'll argue Ben Simmons because of what Ben Simmons said. 
Well, you guys are calling Rudy Gobert the defensive player of the year, and I have 42 against him. So, <laughs> so Ben Simmons sure. said he had 42 against the defensive player of the year. And the team with the worst record at Minnesota Timberwolves, I think, swept the Utah Jazz this year in Carl Anthony Towns. A guy that's always being called soft throughout social media and not a good basketball player where he goes out and he outduels. Rudy Gobert every single time they play against each other. And they got the season sweep, the Minnesota Timberwolves, on the Utah Jazz. So I don't really want to hear anything about no defense player of the year coming from no Rudy Gobert. But I digress. Yeah, he's probably going to win. And his his pick and roll statistics uh, as a defender are incredible. I, I mean, I, I think it's the best in the league. I think teams score like 0.85 points per possession when he's a defender in the pick and roll. Like it, it's it's pretty impressive the numbers that he puts up. And Ben Simmons, it's hard to argue that he's a great defender. He's hard to argue against him being a good defender because we all know his credentials. We all know his length and his ability right. to stay in front of his defender. So I, it could be neck and neck for those two, but just the way that Rudy Gobert has played this season and the defense from the Jazz as a whole and how good they are defensively, and how much of a staple he is to that defense down low, it's it's going to be going to him. And people are going to be voting for him because of that. And maybe Ben Simmons gets shafted, but if I were voting, I would still probably vote Rudy. And our pick was Anthony Davis, and that's just not going to happen. <laughs> coach of the year, I would say, would be Monty Williams. Would you agree with Monty Williams being coach of the year? Yeah, I, I would give it to probably Monty Williams. Uh, the way, the things that he's, he has done with the Sun, I'm, I would be fine with Quinn Snyder too, the jazz head coach because of what he has been able to do completely transform the offensive production of that team and completely transform the way they approach offense. I mean, this is a team that has just been transformed offensively to shooting three pointers just consistently. They, they, they shoot and make three pointers at a ridiculous clip, something we have pretty much never seen even from the warriors. So they completely transform the way they play offense, and that is a huge testament to, to Quinn Snyder just reading his team and knowing what their strengths are. But then you look at Monty Williams for the Suns, no one expected them to be the two seed and have one of the best records in the NBA. So you can make the case for both. Yeah, you can definitely make the case for both. I would lean more towards Monty Williams because of the simple fact that the Phoenix Suns weren't in the postseason last season yeah. and the amount of turnaround they've pulled off in only a year. Well, really the last two years, right? Because even the year before last, when they were close to making the postseason going eight, winning eight in a row last year, the season prior to that, they were terrible. The finish Suns were bad. Yeah. So they've had a lot of progression over the last two seasons for, I believe, for Monty Williams to be in that position to win coach of the year, being second in the West. Don't forget, though. My boy, Tom Thibodeau. He's not going to win, but he's, <laughs> he's going to get some votes. I think he will, too. I was thinking about that this morning. Like, you know, you could make, a, you make an argument for Tom Thibodeau, coach of the, yeah. coach of the year case, too, because the Knicks, like I said, laughing stock of the league for quite some time now. Now you got to kind of, you know, take the New York Knicks kind of serious a little bit. Yeah, any, <laughs> any coach that made the New York Knicks a respectable team after what they were in the mid-2010s, coach of the decade, honestly. <laughs> okay. Coach of the decade. Skip coach of the year. <laughs> All right, Zach, for our third segment, uh, we're going to do a combination, stat of the week and overreaction. Oh, no. Because 
And they're both they're both the same player. They both have to do with the same player, and that player is one Russell Westbrook and what he has been doing triple doubles wise. He passes Oscar Robertson for the most triple doubles yeah. in a career. It's just impressive. It's amazing what what Russell Wilson has been able to do, especially assist wise. Um, so the stat of the week is uh, what 181. 82, 182. It was going to be 181, but then he broke it, so now it's 182. And he'll probably end the season with, like, 184 before it's all said and done. Man, shout-out to Russell Westbrook, man. we got to give him his flowers while he's here because it's not easy to go out for a triple-double. Like, regardless of what you say, the the pace and space of the, today's game and how fast it is now and, and there's not too many bigs on the floor as much – there are certain things in basketball that requires just flat out effort and relying on another person. I'll give you an example. I need a mellow ball to have six assists in his last game. He had only five. And let me tell you something, Ben. I watched the mellow ball drop a nice dime off to Cody Zeller. Cody Zeller botched the layup. Okay? <laughs> so you need other people to uh, yeah. have accountability for those stats to even matter. If Russell Westbrook is going out all night dishing these passes off and guys aren't making baskets, there is no assist. Or if he's dumping off these passes and guys just going to their bag and get the dribble, 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 it's no longer an assist. And so, and in the rebound thing, this is, oh my goodness, as a seven-footer on the opposing oh, yeah. team, I'm disre- I feel disrespected. There's no way a six foot three guard should have more rebounds than me at the end of the game. Period. I've seen a uh, Milwaukee game in the West versus the Wizards. Giannis got out rebounded and Lopez got out rebounded by Russell Westbrook. That's a problem for me. So I got to shout out Russell Westbrook for that hard work he goes out there and do night in, night out and fills up the stat sheet and puts his team in position to win the game. It's really interesting because when people describe Russell Westbrook and they talk about him as a player, passing and his passing ability is usually not one of the main things people bring up. And I find it really interesting because you look at someone like Steve Nash, right? And and Steve Nash is known as someone who is the passer. He is the guy. He is the guy everyone grew up watching highlights of crazy passes and a guy who is known as having eyes in the back of his head. He led the NBA in assists five times in his career. If you were to guess how many times Russell Westbrook, including this year, which he will finish leading the league in assists, I'm sure people would not get the correct answer. And he's led the league, including this year, three times in assists. Only two fewer than Steve Nash. And Russ is still going to play for a good amount of time longer than this. So theoretically, he could get to four or five years where he has led the NBA in assists. And I find that really fascinating because if he has the same type of stats as someone like a Steve Nash, I mean, Steve Nash had six years where he was in double-digit assists for the season. And I think Russell Westbrook has about five where he's, including yeah, this season, yeah. he's in double-digit assists. So I, I think we need to take a collective look at Russell Westbrook as more of that passer, incredible yeah. facilitator type guy, rather than the guy who's the heads-down scorer, the guy who plays angry a lot of the time, because he is that. But people really have been overlooking his playmaking, and the numbers back that up. The, the numbers so back it up, right? And I think that's what makes her a point guard, a complete point guard, which leads into the next topic of overreaction. And that's Scott Brooks saying he would go down as the second best point guard of all time, Russell Westbrook. You can make a case for that. Yes, you can honestly make a case for that. Because if a point guard six for three is going to go out and average a triple-double for four seasons throughout his career, 
We're just talking about a position. We're not talking about, okay, what did this point guard do to win a championship? We're talking about a point guard that just goes out and competes night in, night out, put his position, put his team in position to win games. Just a point guard. We're not talking about the other four positions on the floor because it takes four guys to win a championship. The, St- the Stephen Curry conversation always comes up being, as of late, because of the idea that he can shoot so well, right? Best shooter we've ever seen. But my question is, why can't Steph Curry just be the best shooter we've ever seen from the point guard position, as opposed to being considered a better point, the best point guard ever, right? I think Westbrook can overtake that as it relates to uh, being the, the best point guard. I think Westbrook kind of has that edge, if you ask me. And yeah, Chris Paul. That, that's definitely yeah. I mean, Chris Paul would have to be on that list, and that's I think that's the point guard is the more difficult position than I think pretty much any other position to determine who is the best because you have the pass first type of point guards and you yeah. have the score first type of point guards. Yeah. Um, and like someone like a Derek Rose, the way he was playing before his injury, you could say like someone like that, who's just a pure scorer, a guy who could score wherever, whenever on the court, does that make him a better point guard than a Chris Paul? You know, you could have that argument, but it's hard because the parameters are different with yeah. each player. I mean, Russell yes. Westbrook has put himself in that conversation because of his statistics and because he's passing and because he can score and because he can rebound. I mean, someone like that, you have to put on a list of best point guards ever. You, you have to, I don't know why you couldn't. And I know he doesn't have the accolades. He doesn't have the right, ranks, right. but the statistics are there and the way he performs during the regular season, it's all there. And you just got to look at the full body frame of work. And it's just so hilarious that you mentioned accolades, because if you mention accolades, when we're talking Steph Curry in regards to being the best point guard ever, we better start talking about Clay Thompson. Now I know he's not in 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 the season right now due to injury, but you got to give Clay Thompson his uh, his flowers right away if we're going to talk about championships because I don't believe they win those championships without Clay Thompson. I think Clay Thompson's shooting ability is just as important, just as important as Steph Curry's was. Now if you want to talk about best shooter because you know Steph shoots off the dribble. Or, you know, he he shoots from half court off. I was splitting the double team. And, you know, Clay Thompson's more of a screen, you know, screen guy, one or two dribbles and then firing it up. Depending on what type of shooter you want. And, yeah, sure, you can go with Steph. But, you know, I think arguably those two are the best shooters in NBA history. And I think Steph is the best shooter in NBA history at the point guard position, like, ever. Like, he just so happens to play a PG. Right. And that's the thing, too. And you, we could have an argument about this every day for the rest of our <laughs> lives about, well, is Steph Curry the best shooter and the best scorer at point guard? Or could you say Russell Westbrook is a better scorer than than Steph Curry? And you, I'm not saying he is or isn't. I'm just saying these are the type of arguments that you could have about these guys. Does Steph Curry being the greatest shooter of all time automatically make him the best scoring point guard of all time and and do you like make a difference between those two things things like that but does you know does Russell Westbrook make all first team NBA this year do you think that's something that he can do over Steph Curry over Luca over Dame uh even over Chris Paul do you think Russ gets first or even second team all NBA there's 15 positions correct so you got an opportunity to make third I think he can make second or third not first. Basically, first. is he is he a, a top five point guard this year in the yes. NBA? Top six? Absolutely, absolutely. I would I would attest to that. Yes. And and the the triple double thing I think is going to help him a lot when people a are voting lot. or something mm-hmm. like this. So it'll be interesting to see. But 
he's won an MVP. He's beaten an Oscar Robertson record that no one thought was ever going to be beaten, at least not this quickly. First and, and yeah, he, he could definitely, I mean, he's going to end up in the hall of fame, but talking about best point guards ever, he's, he's got to be in that conversation for sure. Just because of the numbers that he puts up. Uh, what NBA Twitter is talking about this week. What it do, baby. Your man's out here punching people. <laughs> I'm sure he has a good reason to. I'm sure. Listen, if Luca is punching people, they probably deserve it. <laughs> so Luca punched uh, Colin Sexton in like the groin area and was ejected from a game last week. Okay. And, maybe, uh, maybe yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I don't think you know that it was a. Uh, warranted to say the least but he said you know look at defense was it's more common than you think i don't really see it too much often in the amount of games that i watch but apparently those type of physical uh (laughs) those those physical interactions take place throughout the game more often than not if you ask luca apparently (laughs) yeah i i love luca but the man does love to do weird stuff when he's on the court and and he's not He's not a dirty player, really. He's not known as a dirty player yet. And right. that was definitely kind of a dirty, dirty play there. But he is known for complaining a lot. Um, and I, I will say that. And he does. He does that often. And he, hey, this is something we got to pay attention to. He may get suspended soon. Yeah. Because of technical. these technical files. I believe he has around 15, 16. And that's around a close to where you get the one game suspension. So that's something to keep an eye on, too, as we get close to this postseason. Because I felt like last year in the postseason, he almost missed a game. Because of that very reason, you know, too many technical fouls during the regular season, and it almost cost him a game. So that's something to be careful for if you're a Dallas Mavericks uh, fan. 100%, and he he definitely needs to be careful. And I know the NBA said with the play-in game, uh, any technical foul does not count towards the oh. total. So if that is something that does end up happening um, with – with Luca, I don't think it will since they are in fifth place right now okay. in the West. But if they do end up playing in that playing game, if he does get a technical, it won't count uh, towards that number. So that's you know good for him, I guess. But he does need to tread. He needs to tread carefully. He doesn't want to be missing these games in the playoffs because of a stupid technical uh, that he gets. Other stuff on NBA Twitter. This is an interesting question. I thought that you yeah. brought up because we saw DK Metcalf run track and he ran we finished in tenth place, but it was still yeah, fast. Place, as hell. It was super fast. Yeah, that guy's fast. So who's the NBA's DK Metcalf um, is the question that you asked. That's tough. That is really, really tough. Um, John Wall is a name that comes up because that guy is unbelievably quick. And when he is fully healthy, I mean, he is one of the faster players in the league for sure. For I'll, something say, like that. I'll probably say De'Aaron Fox is pretty, pretty darn fast. He's, yeah. he's pretty fast with the ball. Um, you know who I'll give it to, like in his in his heyday, like his heyday, his prime, that could probably go out there and maybe run that hundred meters. Derrick Rose in his prime, man. I was <laughs> thinking Rose the same thing. In his prime, flying up the floor. Remember, remember they used to do the skill talents a little differently than what they do now, and, and how Rose won it, and how fast he had won that had won that uh that event yeah. over the weekend in All Star. Oh my goodness, I. Couldn't believe how fast he was. And, like, he's a guy I think of, obviously, Westbrook. But the young guy, Fox, De'Aaron Fox, he's he's, he's super fast. <laughs> yeah, he, he's he's really fast. The 22-year-old pre-injury Derrick Rose, I think I would put up there as well. He was he was quick. That guy could move. Um, we got scoring title beef being talked about on Twitter. <laughs> Steph Curry being petty. 
I told you. Listen, I told you that night before the game, he checked the stats. I knew he did. And then he confirmed it for me. So that's all I had needed right there. That's all I needed. He checked the box score for the Wizards game. He saw that Bradley Bill had 50. He goes out there and scores 49 in 29 <laughs> minutes. 49 points, 29 minutes. Well, then Kent Bazemore got involved. You thought what Kent Bazemore had to say? He tripping. <laughs> he, uh, yeah, explain, explain what happened because it's fun because Steph Curry right now leads the NBA in points per game, but it's only like 0.3 or 0.4 more points than Bradley Beal right now. Yep, yep. And Kent Bazemore, Steph's teammate, talked about how players are, what, tearing their hamstrings now trying to catch up to him and specifically talking about Bradley Beal who hurt his hamstring. That is, yeah. that is ruthless. That's ruthless. Definitely throwing some shade. Ken Bazemore said that uh, Bradley Beal couldn't take a joke because Bradley Beal got right on. Like, listen, I do this. I ain't new to this. I'm true to this. Don't get disrespectful as it relates to my hamstring injury because I've been a player that's uh, been battled with injuries in early on in my career. And so I don't appreciate you coming at me like that, talking about no injury. Listen, I'm dropping this 50 ball with no problem. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, my hamstring might have went out a little bit, but that's fine. We bounce right back. You know, so Ken Bazemore got to learn his place in his scoring. Maybe if he could average 20 points a game or something yeah, like yeah. that, then he might have something to say in all of this. But, yeah, it's neck and neck for sure, 31.9 yeah. and 31.4. So yeah. it's inches away between the two. Yeah, 0.5 points separates the two with, you know, three or four games remaining. So, actually, that race is going to be a lot of fun to see who's mm-hmm. going to win the scoring title this year between Steph and Bradley. And, listen, if we don't have a betting corner this week, but maybe the player prop overs on both their points for the rest of the season. If they're really into this right now, it seems yeah. like they are. They're going to be going for 50 <laughs> every single night for the next couple of games or something like that. Um, Spicy P on Twitter, he bought his mom a new house for Mother's Day. Yeah. I did see that. That's crazy. Yeah. yeah, I was happy to see that. You know, it's always good because that's what it's all about, right? You know, saying these players, the first thing they do when they get drafted is one of the one things they want to do is give back to the person who helped raise them to be in that position that they're in. You know, we saw Bam out of Bio buy his mama house recently around Christmas time, and now here for Mother's Day, we're seeing uh, Spicy P, uh, Pascal Siakam go out his way and buy his mom and his family a home. You know, just giving back to their family for all for what all they've done to get them in that position. So yeah, I had to shout out my boy Spicy P for the Toronto Raptors, man. Good job. Good job, Spicy P. On yeah, that was, that, was, yeah, that was very cool to see. I think uh, it's always cool to see their athletes, you know, pay it back, so to speak, to their parents, getting them houses, getting them cars, yeah. helping them retire early, things like that. I think that, yeah. that's that's really cool to see on, on Twitter. And finally, um, I don't know, maybe tough this was news. just me. Yeah, tough news. It, it seemed like it was just me because this kind of went under the radar with Jalen Brown being out for the year now for the Boston Celtics. That's huge. Which, that's a big loss. Yeah. Big uh, loss. Like, obviously they've been struggling this year, the Celtics, yeah. but they have played better as of late and they are most likely going to be in the play in game as the seventh seed, unless something changes with the heat and the heat start losing and the Celtics get into that sixth spot. Well, they actually play each other soon. They do. Yeah. They, they play, play they play tonight as of this recording Monday night or Tuesday night. So that's a huge game for the two teams and Jalen Brown is going to be out for the rest of the year. And that is a huge loss for the Celtics. I mean, he is someone they relied on a lot, especially for three and, and to take some pressure off of Jason Tatum and, and everything like that. That is, that is a really, really big loss for them. And for a team that is trying to make a push, 
deeper into the playoffs in a team, too, that knows they can at the very least reach the conference finals with the type of roster that they have. Hey, what if the Celtics needed to start just a whole rebuild and just blow it up? <laughs> I know, I know that's crazy to say, but um, I just feel like Kimball Walker, right? He left his knees in Charlotte. Like, yeah. he, I don't think he has that same lift and that same explosion that we used to see when he played for the Hornets. I don't think it's there anymore. And then, like you said, like the wrist injury for Jalen Brown is such a huge loss for them for this season because I know like they had a lot of momentum as of late before this injury, you know, trying to get out of that playing scenario. But I think they're going to end up staying in it. I don't know if they'll be able to beat a Miami Heat team, a team that they're kind of messing with in terms of that six and that seven spot. You know, they're kind of intertwined right there with close to matching records. And so when you have that scenario, and Evan Fournier needing to step up. And like I said, Kimba not having no knees right now. The yeah. scoring options are limited outside of Jason Tatum and a streaky Marcus Smart. Yeah. Yeah, we'll, we'll see how that game goes. Um, and they're going to end up playing in that 7-8 game for sure. Uh, not for sure, but almost 100%. More than likely. Sure. Yeah, more than likely. Um, so they'll still have a chance to make that 7 or 8 spot with the play-in game. But it's going to be an uphill battle for them, for sure. Without Jalen Brown, they're going to need Jason Tatum to score 40 points every single night if they're going to want to have a chance. Absolutely. Without question. Without question. Definitely going to need Tatum to step up these last few games and into that play-in scenario. Now, buddy, that's going to conclude for us, right? This edition of the Points in the Paint podcast. We appreciate everyone listening. We appreciate everyone checking out the clips that we drop because of the Skype that we do here now. We're dropping the videos for you all. We appreciate you all's feedback from the videos. A lot of people said they like these videos. They like that we're doing this now. So we appreciate the feedback from that. We want you to always subscribe if you listen for the first time to the Points in the Paint podcast presented by Stadium, the number one basketball podcast presented by Stadium. Make sure you follow your main man, Zach Batterhouse, and my main man, Ben Wittestein, on Twitter. Make sure you follow Points Paint on Facebook and on Twitter. Catch up with Sean for your latest NBA news across the association and follow Stadium. And make sure you listen to Trash and Treasure and Treasure with Eddie and Felder. Come out every Thursday. That's going to conclude this edition of Points in the Paint.